Um, so our reading is Romans 14, verses 1 to 21, which can be found in page 1140 on the Church Bibles. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but is all food is clean, but it is strong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink, wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a really good evening to all of you. Uh, it's lovely to see you all here uh, tonight. Stay there, stay there. Thank you, George, very much. We are going to be looking at that passage uh, from Romans 14, uh, read so beautifully for us. Uh, it's uh, the second in a series that we're looking at at the start of this year. Uh, the series is called Being the Church, and uh, we're looking at uh, the different verbs that are used in the New Testament uh, with the words one another. And last week, we're looking at honor one another. Uh, this week, we're looking at don't pass judgment on one another. And the aim of the series is for us to get into what it means uh, to be the church. Uh, 
but uh, not just through ideas and images and pictures from the New Testament of what the church is, uh, but in some of the things that we are encouraged to do as the church. And tonight we're going to be thinking about uh, not passing judgment on each other. And now one reason that you might find it hard to honor other Christians is that, quite frankly, you wouldn't say it aloud, of course, uh, you find them annoying, um, hypocritical, full of hang-ups. And that's just the staff team. Uh, You know, at at the same time, uh, many of us don't like that bit in ourselves that is judgy and critical. Uh, You know, you sort of catch yourself thinking about people in a certain way, and you're not necessarily comfortable with feeling feeling that about others. And yet we can't really help uh, but notice some of the hang-ups and the foibles and the inconsistencies uh, of uh, the people that we share church with. Uh, which brings us to Romans 14, 13, where it says, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Well, we need to look into what that meant uh, for the church in Rome. The church in Rome was a really international church. So it had people from different cultures, different languages. It was a bit of a melting pot of a church. And we know that they had a variety of disagreements or certainly tensions within the church. And we see two of them here. The first one was a disagreement or certainly a discussion about whether it is right for Christians to eat anything they want, so meat and other things, or that would be what one group thought. The other group thought all Christians should be vegetarians. The second question was was to do with holy days and holidays and special occasions. And one group of Christians felt it, it doesn't really matter. Every day is sacred. Uh, You don't need to have special occasions to do things. Other sorts, really important that we keep uh, special days of the year where we think about special parts of what God has done. And that the two of them, in a sense, were trading off with each other. Now, first of all, a note about being vegetarian in the first century. Uh, There were lots of vegetarians in the first century, some out of necessity and poverty, which is still very much the case today in other parts of the world. Uh, People were not vegetarians then for the environmental and the animal welfare concerns uh, that we share uh, today. Uh, Their concern was moral or ritual or maybe ceremonial. To give you an example of how that worked, uh, early this year before we moved down to Chesham, uh, from Chesham, uh, I invited for dinner uh, the imam of the mosque in Chesham and his family, sort of extended families, about 15 of them came to dinner. And over the past couple of years, we've become very close friends. And they'd had us uh, hospitality at their house. And so we wanted to return that and invite them all over. So I spent about half an hour on the phone with the imam's son, who was a chap called Irfan, uh, just talking through, you know, what can I serve? Uh, what meat can I, can I prepare? How should it be prepared uh, so that we could be uh, good hosts uh, to them. Uh, then I went to the Halal Butcher in Chesham, where we used to live, uh, and I had a long chat with the butcher there, and he told me all about the right kind of meat, and it was just, this one was just fine, a really good halal. And when I said, look, the imam's coming, we were able to negotiate a bit of a discount, so it was, <laughs> it was, all, it was all good. The religious, uh, the, the concern, the religious or ritual concern of our Uh, Jewish and Muslim friends 
It's not about should I eat meat or should I not eat meat. It's about whether it's kosher or whether it's halal. And that is to do with has the meat been correctly sourced? Was it killed in the prescribed way? And the same was true for some Christians in Rome. They were worried about the provenance of the meat. Not, not that it was uh, or not organic or had come from a local farm, but had it been prepared and killed in the correct way. Now, I promise you that I am not ducking the issue, but it, it is a whole other discussion that we do not have time for tonight to consider whether as 21st century Christians we should or should not be vegetarians. Uh, so, um, and that is actually not what this passage is about, uh, but we can come back to it another time, or I'd be really interested to hear what you think. So, in Rome, there is a, there is a disagreement, and a painful disagreement, uh, between Christians regarding diets and regarding the observation of holy days. And the division lines seem to fall between two groups of people. You've got established Christians, like uh, Paul, who actually take a more relaxed view on both of these issues. So they're the ones saying, yes, you can eat anything you want, and they're the ones saying, just chill about all these holy days, it doesn't really matter. On the other side, you had uh, some younger Christians, probably Gentile, whose backgrounds probably made them very sensitive uh, to how the meat you bought at the market had been prepared. Because maybe as a Gentile or pagan people before they became Christians, they'd been part of the temple cult and other things, and so they felt understandably sensitive about all of this. Paul believes, he says here and elsewhere, in a creator God, and so therefore everything in God's world is good and is to be enjoyed. He knew about the vision that Peter had uh, which we read about in Acts, where God declares all foods clean. He knew that in Mark 7, Jesus again declares all foods clean. Now, that phrase, all foods clean, doesn't mean we are oblig obliged or obligated uh, to eat all foods. It just means within the culture of that day, all foods were acceptable to eat. Uh, no food could be tainted or, or off-limits. Uh, Paul saw the world as a good thing to be enjoyed, and as far as holidays were concerned, he wasn't really bothered. Uh, keep a holiday, don't keep a holiday. But what mattered to him was that if you chose to keep a special day in a special way, uh, your motivation was not showing off or being legalistic, but it was to give honor to God. That's what he wanted. But if you've read other parts of the New Testament, and some of you will have done, you will know that Paul is often a pretty feisty opponent on a lot of issues particularly when things central to the Christian faith are at stake, as should we. So why does Paul take a gentler and more pragmatic line here in Romans 14? He urges acceptance. He urges patience. He says, look, live together with your different views. He urges kindness. And in particular, he urges a deep respect for the conscience of other Christians and the decisions that they have come to in good conscience. Don't pass judgment on one another, he says. He particularly says that to the younger Christians. So he says to the younger Gentile Christians, don't pass judgment on older Christians for those decisions that they have come to, because actually they may have thought about it more deeply 
uh, than you are aware, and they may have traveled uh, further than you've been able to uh, as yet. Uh, don't pass judgment, he says. And to the older Christians, he says, don't be contemptuous. Don't look down your nose at younger Christians. And if you are a younger Christian, maybe you have had a run-in with some older Christians, and you've sensed that. You've sensed actually they're looking a bit down their nose at you and being a bit patronizing. And both of those things are going on here. Uh, judging of the older Christians and uh, patronizing of the younger ones. Now, when Paul says of the younger Christians that their faith is weak, what he's saying is that they have not yet had the time to fully work out all the consequences of God being our creator and of Jesus being not only our crucified Lord, but our risen Lord and also our judge. Paul is willing, very interesting this, he's willing both to carry on persuading people of what he holds as the deeper Christian truth, that is that morally no food is unholy or untainted, and that observing special days in special ways does not make you a better Christian. So he's happy to teach and encourage uh, on that, whilst at the very same time he's staying sensitive to others, and what's more, if appropriate, he will change his behavior for their sake. So if there are younger Gentile Christians within the church at Rome uh, who really feel strongly about not eating meat, and if Paul sits down for a meal with them, he won't eat meat. If he invites them around to his house, he won't eat meat as a sign of respect for their conscience. It's really important to him that fellow Christians, especially those younger in the faith, uh, are not shipwrecked by overbearing older believers. And I hope that's important to you too. Now, like me, it may be that you have some questions about how this all works out in practice. And for me, the main one is, uh, if you look at verse 1 of chapter 14, Paul says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling, and here's the three important words, over disputable matters. So it seems that in Paul's mind, there are these things called disputable matters within the church. It's a bit like he's drawing uh, two circles. And the first circle is, in a sense, is the core or the heart of our faith. Uh, the things about Jesus and the cross and salvation and God and the Holy Spirit and the world that are absolutely central uh, to what we believe. But he seems to draw a second circle and say, around the outside, there are these things called disputable matters where Christians may and will, in good conscience, disagree with one another. We know that Paul is not saying, let's just agree to disagree on absolutely everything. We know he's not saying that. And the reason that we know is in so many other places, he stands up for what is true. So if there are Christians who are beginning to say, as there were in Galatia, if there are Christians who are beginning to say, actually, um, in order to be a real Christian, you need to be circumcised if you're a bloke. Because you're not really going to be a proper Christian unless you've been circumcised. And Paul is outraged at that. And the reason that he's outraged about that is because he thinks it's an issue of salvation. Because here's someone saying the cross was not enough, that you've also got to be circumcised to really be acceptable to God. And in those situations, he really stands up and stands strong. So Paul is not saying just agree to disagree on everything. We know that on a, actually quite a similar matter, a matter of food, he had a very big disagreement with Peter. 
And the disagreement was as follows. Uh, Peter, under some pressure from other Christians, Peter was originally a Jew, an Israelite. And Peter had decided no longer to eat with Gentile Christians, but only to share food with other Jewish Christians. And Paul goes berserk. He says, this is outrageous. You know, Christ came to pull down the barriers between Gentiles and Christians, and there you are putting them up again. What on earth do you think you're doing? So he's absolutely willing when it's a real matter of salvation and a truth of the gospel to be really strong. So he's not saying, let's just agree to disagree. Uh, The trouble is, who decides what is in the middle circle What are the things that are absolutely core and important? And what are in the outer circle, the things that are disputable? Uh, What happens if I think an issue is right on the edge here and is just, I can think one thing, you can think another, but you say, that is bang in the middle of the target. And for me, that is completely non-negotiable. What do we do in those circumstances? Well, we have some advice here. We definitely do it respectfully, remembering that every single one of us who is a Christian is a servant of God. But more, that all of us will appear before God as our judge. And the reason that's important is Paul says, we've got to search our hearts. If you're anything like me, when you're having arguments with other people, often you're taking a principled stand on something just to be belligerent and difficult. Or you're taking a stand on something because that's what your parents thought and you want to stay with that. Or more likely, that's what your parents don't think and so it's a very attractive thing for you to think. You know, sometimes the positions that we take, they, they don't come from reading the Bible uh, you know, really meticulously. They don't come uh, from you know, really thinking it through carefully. They come because of custom or practice or prejudice on our part. And so Paul says, we're all going to be judged by God. We're all going to be weighed before him. So let's search our own hearts before we start digging into others. And then we have to use the whole Bible wisely and with the help of the accumulated wisdom of the church found in our teachers and our theologians and books and those who've read and thought and prayed over the years. And to help us to work out what is the difference between Christian essentials and those things that we respectfully disagree about. And the Christian creeds that we often use in services are excellent places to, in a sense, to delineate or to clarify what is at the very heart of faith. Now, in my own experience, I have worshipped and served alongside all kinds of Christians uh, with whom I've disagreed. I've worked alongside Christians with whom I've disagreed about baptism. Now, I personally uh, believe it's right and good and found in the New Testament that we baptize infants and children uh, who have been born into a believing household. Some of you may feel differently. I've worked with a variety of Christians when it comes to their view on the role of women within the church. I am completely wholeheartedly and enthusiastic supportive of the role and the leadership of women at every single level of the church and grateful for it and been blessed by it. But there are other Christians who I've worked with who've taken a different view. I've worked with Christians of all kinds of shade who've had different views on the rights and wrongs of Brexit. 
Now, it doesn't matter what I think about it. The fact is, we have got on together most of the time. I've, got, I've worked with all kinds of Christians when it comes to what actually happens uh, during a communion service. When I was in Chesham, I had the real privilege of working alongside an, um, the amazing Roman Catholic priest in our town who was called Father Alessandro. He was from Rome, very flamboyant personality. But when I used to, when I used to go to his church to speak, uh, when he was celebrating Mass, uh, the first thing that he did, which was technically against the rules, would be to turn to me and to give me the bread and the wine in front of the whole church and then to receive it from me. Even though we would have had disagreements about exactly what was going on, still there was that friendship. I've worked with Christians who have all kinds of view as to which style of music is God's favorite. <laughs> now, I love a bit of everything, uh, but the, the, the fact is, we might sit, sit on different sides of some or all of those issues, but we serve together as a church family and we respect one another. Now, as you know, and those of you who know me a little bit, I am, a, on the whole, a friendly and respectful sort of person. But there have been times when I've had to say to someone, I'm going to stay your friend, and I'll do all that I can, but if you go down that particular theological road, then we're not going to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder anymore within the life of the local church. And that is extremely painful, but it is, I believe, also necessary at times. So, in a minute, I'm going to just wrap that all up, but I'm just going to chuck you a couple of case studies, and uh, we're going to sort of we're going to split you down the middle. Uh, so it's going to be a, it's not a straight line; it's sort of down there, and then it does a bit of that and it goes over there. So there's this lot and this lot. So if you're on this side, just you're going to very quickly discuss this with a neighbour. Uh, and then we'll feedback very quickly and finish. Uh, so if you're on this side, uh, you are, you're talking to Bernie. Now let me tell you about Bernie. Bernie says the following. I know the Ten Commandments... Sorry, there's a Bernie here. Is there a Bernie here? Sorry, I've tried to choose a name that probably won't be here. It, um, Bernie says, I know the Ten Commandments say don't steal, but this morning in my quiet time, I read 1 Corinthians 3.21, which says, and I quote... All things are yours. So, I've decided I should be free to help myself to whatever I want. And to be honest, if you disagree with me, you're being extremely legalistic. Okay, so you guys, just with two or three with you in a second, uh, you're going to, how would you respond to Bernie, who says, I hear the Ten Commandments, but actually 1 Corinthians 3 says uh, all things are yours, so therefore, mm, I'm afraid I can take what I want. If you're on this side, uh, so sort of around there, uh, you're going to be talking to Johnny. Uh, now, there might be a Johnny here, but this isn't a real thing. Uh, Johnny has read in Leviticus 19.19 that the Israelites should not wear clothes that are made of two different kinds of material. And Johnny has read that, and he's now decided that he's going to throw away all of his cotton and polyester mixed shirts. And what's more, he's now saying to you and your small group that all of you should throw away your cotton and polyester mixed shirts as well uh, because Christians shouldn't be wearing them. So how are you going to respond to Johnny? So you guys find a two or three, respond to Johnny. You guys find a two or three, respond to Bernie.
cool. Okay, let me bring you to order. Sorry to break in. Okay, now. Let's start with Bernie. Um, now, interesting, what we'd say to Bernie, I think what we'd, say, what we'd probably say is uh, there are plentiful texts in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that do prohibit stealing. So it's not just in one place, it's in lots of places, Old Testament and New Testament. There are also other passages that urge respect for other people, including the one we're talking about, and that urge contentment with what we have. So what Bernie has done is she's just taken one small text out of context and she's twisted it and turned it to her own advantage. And uh, it, it follows up one of the most lovely things I heard someone ever say about the Bible. They compared, compared the Bible to the Radio Times. I, I know Radio Times is a bit passe, but it's that magazine that you buy that tells you where all the teleprograms are. And, um, and they say, you know, because it's like the Radio Times, because I, I, I look in it to find what I want to see. And, and that is really powerful, isn't it? Uh, that actually, you know, Bernie has taken a passage and she's skewed it and she's tweaked it. Now, she may have done it uh, because she's being a bit mischievous or she may have done it out of ignorance, but that's what she's done. And so, therefore, in those circumstances, the New Testament encourages us not to go to battle with Bernie, but to just say, hang on, let's talk about this. Let's see the wider picture. What does the, the, those words, uh, all things are, are yours, what does that mean in context? And let's, let's look at the sweep of the whole Bible and see whether what you're saying fits in. And there are passages like Galatians 6.1 and Matthew 18.15 the sense that map out for us how we should go about that. Now, Johnny is probably different. Uh, to Johnny, we might say, well, it's, it's sort of up to your individual conscience. And if if that is really going to help you at this stage of your discipleship uh, to honor God and to be wholehearted about honoring God, then that's fine. And with Johnny, we might even remember next time we go to small group uh, to be wearing 100% cotton shirts uh, just to keep him happy. Now, we're going to finish in a moment. I want to summarize by thinking, well, where have we got to when it comes to being the church and how this helps? I think there's probably a couple of things that shine out from this passage. The first one is this, is that we are called to a mutual respect. Last week, if you were here, we're thinking about what it means to honor one another. We are called to a mutual respect. Younger Christians may find at times that they want to judge older Christians. I'm not saying as probably a middle-aged Christian, not an old one yet, I'm not saying that we're all perfect and we know everything. We need to be challenged. We need to be prodded with a stick because we get lazy or we just stop thinking about things or we get stuck in our ways. But still, there is a temptation for potentially younger Christians to judge older Christians and think they don't really live up to the right standards. And likewise, there's a temptation for older Christians to look down their noses at younger Christians and say, oh, they're too excitable, they're too black and white, they're too enthusiastic, they're too zealous, they just need to chill. And a little bit of that is true. <laughs> but, but, not, but not all of it. But not all of it. We're called to mutual respect and honoring one another and making allowances for one another. But the second thing is, we are called, I think this is the heart of this passage, we are called to a deep commitment 
to the spiritual well-being and the Christian flourishing of all of our sisters and brothers in this church. I've said already today that uh, often I will go and see the family of someone who's died. And towards the end of the conversation, they will often say something like this, Dad was a Christian, but he didn't really go to church. And there are all kinds of things in your head that you're thinking when someone says that. And most of them are judgmental. And so what I try to say is, man, that must be so hard. Because I have no idea for myself how I would be a Christian without you. And how I would function or grow or thrive as a Christian without other Christians around me. Which is, by this, which is why this series on being the church is so important, because it's helping us see the things that we need to be and do for one another. We should have a deep commitment to the well-being and the flourishing of all the Christians in our church. And so we will begin to bring this passage to life when we try to stop judging other Christians who we think maybe have got it wrong on these disputable matters, and when, we start, when we've started to stop patronizing other people who we think are being a bit overzealous over these disputable matters. That's when we'll have started. But we will really start flying in applying this passage when the journey of faith of other Christians, the, the fact that other Christians are growing and thriving and flourishing in their faith and taking steps forward in their faith, when that becomes more important to us than proving them wrong. But so often, if we're honest to ourselves, if we're even, sometimes these disputable matters are even more fiery, or they get us more sort of fired up. And if we're honest, we just like nothing better than someone coming up to us and saying the dream words, Simon, you were right. Just long to hear those words. And maybe occasionally we will. But the important thing is that we are more committed to every single person in this room flourishing as a Christian. And so therefore, we don't care if we're proved right or wrong about these uh, secondary or disputable. We don't care. What we care about is that they grow in their love for God. And the decisions that they take are made in integrity to honor God. And so therefore, me being right or wrong won't matter. I would love, I'd love to be in a church where that is the most important thing to us, that other people thrive and grow and relish their, uh, their love for God and are taking evidence and easily discernible steps forward. It will be a continual uh, struggle for us to work out those two circles. Every generation has that battle uh, to work out what is, what is in this inner circle. What are the things that are, that you can't argue about them because they're just there. They are the essentials of the gospel. And what are the things that we can respectfully disagree about? And that happens within churches and that happens across church cultures. It will be a continual struggle, but it will be much easier if it's based on mutual respect and honor for one another.